Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue. And you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toff. So I just had my own personal shallow end experience, and I wasn't involved directly other than I, I witnessed it. Are we allowed to have those? I'm not sure. I think we have to claim it. There are forms that we need to fill out. Tax forms and stuff. You know how yeah. that goes. Yeah. The government needs a piece of everything, even sure. a shallow end experience. <laughs> uh, I was uh, driving home on the 4, on I-4, and I see police lights up ahead Uh and i'm like okay great and the traffic has slowed to a crawl finally i get past the sand lake road exit which is not far from universal and there's a police actually two police vehicles one in front and one in back of a vehicle that they pulled over which Mm -hmm. is not that uncommon right but the vehicle was a riding lawnmower This is Florida. I get yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, but it looked like it, it appeared to be like a, a John Deere. Okay. And uh, that's weird enough. But but the guy who they were questioning, the guy who was apparently driving the riding mower on, right. on Interstate 4, the cops had him, he had his hands on the hood of the tractor. <laughs> And they were patting him down. Yeah. So I'm wondering I'm wondering if he was operating a lawn tractor under the influence. I wonder. And certainly, wouldn't there have been, I don't know, lower profile routes he could have taken other than I-4? I wonder what the top speed of that model is. That's a good question. What would you guess? Like 15 miles an hour? 20 miles an maybe. hour? Maybe. Yeah, I, I think maybe. It, it didn't look like it was one of the big ones. He didn't have it souped up with uh, like a spoiler and the Cobra pipes. Glass pack muffler no not this time no no i would have loved that though was he in overalls like farmer uh farmer gear no no but nope. he wasn't wearing a shirt if that uh, helps. of course not it's florida he had uh it looked like a dirty pair of baggy jeans uh-huh. and uh, i don't know if he was wearing footwear i i didn't uh i didn't look that closely but he was yeah. not wearing a shirt I and you. he was being patted down with his hands on the on the hood of his riding mower. You know what makes, uh, what gives me unique permission to tease the state of Florida is that I'm from the state of Arizona. <laughs> well, there you go. So There's, it all evens out, right? It does sooner or later.
I believe it's your turn to go first. Okie doke. This is actually from a, uh, a listener named David who uh, who sent this as a suggestion. And, and it occurred to me, we do a, a fair number of bank robbery stories yeah. here at The Shallow End mm-hmm. because they're just so perfect. It's, they just sort of lend themselves to this. Our story is about a guy named Ronnie Leibovitz in, uh, in Israel. And Ronnie was actually a very, very successful guy. He, he was from a very prominent family in Israel. He was the oldest of three sons, a very wealthy family. And he, you know, attended uh, boarding school and um, by the age of 16 had that kind of intelligence where it was like, yeah, school is boring. I'm going to go to work. So he joins, uh, he goes to work for a while, then he joins the military in Israel, gets sent into war zones. And then finally, sometime in the late 1980s, his father calls him in and has that talk of, you know, son, it's... Your body's changing now, and <laughs> you may have noticed that you're growing hair in certain areas that none was present before. Yeah. That, that talk? No, no, this is a much different uh, much different talk. The uh, It's time to be a man, go to work in the family business. Okay. Quit the partying and uh, got your life pretty much laid out for you. But Ronnie wasn't, wasn't into that. He was like, nah, I'm, I'm fine. So he essentially <laughs> got on a motorcycle and and just took off. Wow. Very interestingly, decided at some point, well, what would it be like to rob a bank? Sure. I often have that thought while riding a motorcycle. Uh, yeah, I, I have it even just, just driving by in a car from time to time. <laughs> I, I always think of that, uh, that opening scene in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You remember where Paul Newman, as, uh, as Butch walks in and, and sees that they've completely changed the inside of the bank and it's it's now got all kinds of iron bars and armed guards and it's just a fortress and he's clearly miffed and he goes up to the guard <laughs> and says what happened to the bank the old one was beautiful and the guard says people kept robbing it and paul newman looks at him and says small price to pay for beauty <laughs> oh i'm i'm way overdue yeah. To, to watch that again. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? So between 1989 and 1990, Ronnie Leibovitz robbed 21 different banks. 21. Between 89 and 90? Yeah. Did he take time to take nutrients? He did, I'm sure. Holy. Got to be hydrated, you know, to sure. pull off something like that. So... It was it was mostly in the in the area of Tel Aviv, and he he amassed just under half a million dollars. His very first robbery was at a, a first international bank. That was February 1989, and it was his first one. So he, he people didn't know about him. He was still an unknown. It was before he became this media sensation where he was part folk hero, kind of a Robin Hood uh, meets sex symbol. He was a very handsome, handsome guy. So he didn't wear a mask or anything? Not a mask, no. Okay. But here's what he would do. He had a very regular MO. He would would ride a motorcycle. Actually, he had a, a van and a ramp, specially built ramp that went into the van, and inside the van was a motorcycle. So he would drive his van to a bank and park just around the corner, like in an alley, 
take the motorcycle out, put on a helmet and jacket, ride his motorcycle to the bank, (laughs) walk in. He always struck between 10 a.m. and noon. He always took the very first teller window nearest the door, and he would show a gun, but he would never fire it. He fired it one time when somebody tried to take the, the gun from him, another bank customer. But he would get in, get out, almost always less than 60 seconds. He would jump on his motorcycle, ride it back to the van, ride it up into the van, throw the ramp in the back of the van, shut the van doors, take off his motorcycle helmet and jacket, put that in the front of the van, and then walk back to the bank. Now, this is interesting to me because he prided himself on being so fast. But when he did this the first time, he asks himself, well, where's the last place police would look for a bank robber? And he realizes, standing right outside the bank itself. (laughs) So he would, and he did this every time, he would dash the stuff and put the money in his shirt. And then he would walk up. And by that time, there would be police pushing people back and And invariably, a cop would say, you know, sir, this is a crime scene. You can't go in. And he would always use the same M.O. He would say to the cop, oh, I I just I should have been here a few minutes earlier. My wife is going to kill me if I don't make this deposit. Please, I'll get in and out, please. And the cop would say, well, be quick about it. This is a crime scene, but I'll let you in. And so he would go in and he would take the cash that he had just robbed from the bank and go to a different teller and deposit it back in the bank. Now, this is late 90s, so computer records and the software were not as sophisticated as they would be today. I'm guessing that if you robbed your local bank of a certain amount in cash and then three minutes later try and deposit that, the computer is probably going to flag that. Well, like the... uh the story I had about the guy who robbed the bank, went outside, and then try, redeposited it into the ATM. And that actually, as gutsy as it is, going back into the bank you've just robbed and depositing it in person in cash, I mean, man, that's, <clears throat> that's some brass ones. Yep. So he eventually got, because he was getting away with this, he got pretty cocky about it. And he would sometimes do two banks in a day or three banks in a day, all in different parts of the city. One time, he was, he was feeling so confident that he was on his way to the airport, and his son, who is telling this story, says that he couldn't help it, and as he's passing by a bank, he says to the cab driver who's driving him to the airport, hey, can we stop here at the bank? This will only take a minute. <laughs> Literally. Cabby pulls up into the load unload zone. <clears throat> he runs in. Robs the bank, is back out in 45 seconds, <laughs> comes back out to the cab and says, okay, let's go, and, uh, and then goes to the airport. So he, by this time, is now kind of turned into a big deal. And it's, it's very well known that there is this motorcyclist robbing banks like crazy. So police, by this point, are getting pretty savvy to him, and they're, and they're launching stakeouts and setting up roadblocks in an effort to, to question him. And they're actually stopping other bikers, other motorcyclists. And it turns into such a thing that motorcyclists start putting stickers to taunt the police on their motorcycles and their helmets, and they just say, I'm not the robber. (laughs) Now, at least four different suspects were detained on suspicion of being Ronnie. But once they realize, in two of these cases, he committed robberies while these suspects were being held. 
So they know, okay, it's clearly not not this guy. So eventually, as always happens, Ronnie gets caught. And his last robbery was at a bank, Hapolim, in Ramat Gan. And that same month, he was arrested near his parents' home outside a bank. And he claims he wasn't even planning to rob that bank. But when he got questioned, he admitted to all of these robberies. And now here's what's, what's fascinating to me. He didn't spend or abscond with any of that money. He kept it all in his house. And a few days after his capture, he says to the cops, here it all is. So everybody got their money back in those cases where he had taken money and not gone back in to redeposit it. I see. Okay. Now, unfortunately, but I guess somewhat understandably, his wife divorces him because he had been leading this double life. Let that be a lesson to you married bank robbers. Always let your wife in on what you're doing. You want to get permission from your significant other. This is why, as as uncomfortable as it might be, it's good to sit your spouse down and say, listen, I've come up with this this plan. Now, hear me out. It's a little crazy, <laughs> but I got this motorcycle and this helmet, and, and I figure if I in a ramp in the van, and if I go right back in. He gets sentenced to 20 years in prison. His sentence Whoa. is reduced to 14 years. But after serving only eight years, he was granted a uh, presidential pardon and released. Wow. His, his son actually has a YouTube video where he, he talks in great detail about what it was like to grow up with this guy as, as his father. But uh, I, I just think it's, it's a fascinating technique, much like the arsonist coming back to look at the fire he's set a bank robber who actually has the guts to not only come back and stand and look, but say to the cop, could I please go in and make a deposit? <laughs> Otherwise, my wife's going to be really, really upset. There is a, a very thin line between courage and stupidity, though. Yeah, very frequently. And it's a cautionary tale, really. It seems like this happens over and over again. When somebody gets away with something enough times, then they become cocky and they let their guards down. And- exactly it. And why would you think after 21 robberies... Why would you think the wheels are going to come off? I would yeah. think you'd have this very false sense of, you know, I'm really good at this. I don't see I don't see how this could <laughs> stop working. So thanks to our listener, David, who submitted this story. Got this from Wikipedia, themoth.org, and the Los Angeles Times. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. You see them at college football games. Community rallies. You even see them perform at theme parks. They're the drumline. They've become synonymous with flash, precision, showmanship. Now you can take your very own drumline anywhere you want. We're Rent-A-Drumline, and for just $50,000, we'll escort you anywhere you want to go. Imagine the splash you'll make as you walk through the TSA checkpoint at the airport with 85 uniformed marching band members in front of you. Or the look on your pastor's face when they escort you to your regular seat in church. And your favorite teller at your local bank? She didn't see this coming, but she heard it from two blocks away. Rent a drumline. 
your next high school reunion just became something really special. Rent a Drumline. Rent a Drumline may not be available in all states due to local noise restrictions. Check your town or city's laws before booking. Hey, look, if you're passionate about sports, looking for a thrill, you need to check out the freshly redesigned X-Bet. They're calling it the last sports book you'll ever join. Yeah, they really do have it all, whether it's odds on basketball, combat sports, or even betting on the next Bitcoin dip. The best part is, when you win, you get paid quick. It's not just about placing bets. XBet is a whole experience. They support athletes and shows just like ours. They give back to the community with tons of free bets and cash prize contests. And did we mention they have a casino now? Spin the slots, play the roulette, or try your luck at the live tables, all from a mobile platform that lets you enjoy the fun on the go. So whether you're super into sports betting or just curious about giving it a try, you need a site that makes it fun and easy. That's why you got to check out XBet. Sign up today using promo code SHALLOW and get a generous bonus bonus of up to $1,000 on your first deposit. That's right. Promo code SHALLOW for a free cash bonus to kickstart your betting journey. With so many great UFC cards on the horizon and baseball season in full swing. See what I did there? Baseball swing. There's never been a better time to play. Make your next bet. X-Bet. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're promoting your self-esteem through other people's stupidity. You're in the shallow end with Schnebley and Toth. You told me that Cat um, was at Animal Kingdom? Yes. I remembered I did a story there when I was at Disney on the opening of Animal Kingdom, and they were shooting a, um, a TV special for the opening. They were pre-taping a package with a re- TV reporter on one of the little trams that takes you around right, the park. Right. This would have been like, what, 98-ish? Yeah, 97, 98? Something like that, yeah. Anyway, this this female TV reporter from some market, I don't remember where, is um, is on the tram, and she's got her back to the tour, as it were. So her cameraman is sitting like a row behind her, shooting video of her, and so she can't see what's happening behind her. So they, they come around the corner, and they've got all these male orangutans in this kind of clearing. <laughs> One of and it's like six in the morning. The park's not even hasn't even opened yet. And one of these guys, these these orangutans, <laughs> is pleasuring himself yeah. to the point where even the others are like looking away, like, "Oh, dude, this is this is so embarrassing." So she sees around and sees what's going on, and then turns back to the camera and says, "Well, he's a guy, and it is first thing in the morning." <laughs> oh, that's priceless. 
Lifeguard at Shallow End Podcast. Love hearing from you. Last week you did the story about the uh, the awesome display of Christmas tree pyrotechnics. <laughs> the burn pit. The Christmas tree burn pit with yeah. six trees. And the person who submitted that story uh, just responded and said, just listened to this week's Shallow End and loved it. Thanks for sharing my story. I did want to add a clarifying detail to the story, which either makes it better or worse. She says, we are LDS church members, and so we don't partake in adult beverages. So the whole Christmas tree burn was conceived and executed completely sober. I don't know if I believe her. Judge that how you will. Yeah, I think... uh, I'm going to choose to believe that that she's not being ironic, that she's telling the truth. (laughs) I'm going to call BS on that, Lauren, (laughs) but hey. We got another uh, email from... A woman named Audra, who says, Hello, friends. I felt as though I needed to share this enthralling tale with you. Not only is this a Florida man, but it's also special to me because he's a Venice, Florida man, and that's where I call home. I love the podcast. I've told anyone who will listen about it and can't wait till the next episode comes out. Keep laughing at idiots. Audra, and she sends a story about a gentleman in Venice, Florida, who was arrested for ramming his pickup truck into a house while cursing at the homeowner. And uh, he said that his foot slipped, causing him to crash his truck into the house three times. <laughs> Repeatedly. My foot slipped. It went into the house. Three times. And then my foot slipped, and it, somehow it ended up in reverse. And then it slipped again. And then it's, I have a slippery foot. What can I say? Damnedest thing, $50,000 of damage to the house. Thanks for the email, Audra. We appreciate all of you take the time to write us and regale us with your own stories. Let me regale you with one of mine right now, my friend. Please do. I've always been fascinated with major engineering feats. Things like, uh, well, as an example, when they jack up a huge building and then move it to a new location... That's fascinating to me. It really is. That's like that's like Wiley e. Coyote kind of thinking that you think that couldn't possibly work. We'll just jack up this huge structure with pneumatic equipment and we'll put it on a flatbed truck and yep. we'll just yep. drive it across town or to another state. It's a major and complicated procedure and of course, the larger the structure, the more precise the engineering feat needs to be. Yeah, baby. No, I've always thought of uh this procedure is being relatively new, but uh, no, it's uh, it's been around for a long time. Nowadays, they usually raise the building with hydraulics and then carefully push it onto temporary rails or dollies. But if it's a great distance, then it goes on a flatbed truck or they attach some sort of wheels to it. It often requires parts of the building that protrude to be uh, taken down or dismantled, like chimneys, for example. The journey of the vehicle needs to be taken into consideration, and uh, the route needs to be calculated because there are obstacles all along the way. Trees. Trees, telephone poles. Power lines. Yeah, yeah. All of these things need to be factored in. And this is not just a process that's been used to move a small house or a dwelling. Some major structures have been relocated in this manner, and not just with modern-day technology. In fact, in 1847, the London Marble Arch... What? ...that was originally the entrance to the newly rebuilt Buckingham Palace was relocated to Hyde Park. Holy cow. In 1950, the Campania Telefonica de Mexico 
the telephone company of, of Mexico, <laughs> their building that was 1,700 metric tons was successfully moved 11.2 meters, and they didn't even interrupt telephone service. Holy cow. In 1950. That's amazing. Now, your wife's from Minneapolis. Uh, St. Paul, but yes, they're next door to each other. Okay. Are you familiar with the Schubert Theater? Sure. Okay. That weighs 2,900 tons, and it's the oldest existing theater in Minneapolis. That was relocated, even though the move was just over a quarter mile. Uh, it took 100 hydraulic jacks to lift the building, 70 dollies that formed a temporary foundation, and, and five bulldozers to complete the process, and it took 12 days to move wow. a, a quarter of a mile. 12 days, and that was what year? I don't know. <laughs> but it was a time that they had five bulldozers. Sure, around. sure. An entire lighthouse was relocated in Cape Hatteras. Shut the front door. And in 2001, at Newark International Airport, they relocated an entire terminal. Good grief. That cost six million bucks. The heaviest building in the world was moved... Uh, that was ever moved, weighed 18,000 tons. Holy cow. The attention to detail, structural engineering, it's unparalleled. Moving a building any size is an extremely precise and delicate procedure. One best left to the experts. Naturally. But nowadays, you know, with all the self-help channels and the DIY videos on the YouTubes, some people figure they can do anything on their own and maybe save a buck or two. <laughs> Such was the case of Tony Domingo, 46. Here we go, Tony. And his alleged accomplice, Nico Como, 32. This happened in Iberia Parish, Louisiana, near Lafayette. In May of this year, Tony bought a modular home. And he wanted to move it from the property to his property. It seems that Tony purchased the house at the end of 2021. Now, the house, when he purchased it, was about three miles from the property that he wanted to relocate it to. That's Not the, far. The, the final resting place of the modular home, if you will. So when his plans of relocating the structure began to circulate throughout the town, because again, it was a small town, officials contacted Tony and told him he'd need to get a professional to do it. And there were a series of per uh, permits from the county that he needed course. to obtain. They actually warned Tony several times that he needed these permits. The sheriff's department said this was an ongoing situation for a while. Uh, for whatever the reason, probably money, Tony decided that it was in his best interest to ignore the warnings from the county and law enforcement and just figure out a way to do it himself. Don't you think most of us would do that in his position? I think it would enter my mind. Yeah, I got this. I don't need your little forms or your little permits. I got a Dodge Ram 1500 with a trailer hitch. It's a 4x4. Four four. I'm good. Tony first enlisted the help of his friend Nico Como. The big move was going to take place on uh, the 12th of May of this year. And because he didn't have permits, he thought it would be best to relocate the house in the middle of the night. Sure. So somehow these guys managed to get this home, which by the way was 1,700 square feet. Wow. Connected to a truck. <laughs> Shortly after midnight, they began their three-mile trek. His plan was to go through a sugarcane field and then onto a parish road and then a state highway and then back onto a parish road. 
Well, things didn't go so well. Really? Because it's a 1,700-square-foot house in a sugarcane field after the rain. Uh, it got stuck in the field. Okay. And there it stayed for over a week. Uh-oh. Again, officials warned him. They didn't cite him for anything. They said, you need to get a permit. You can't do this on your own. But again, no permit was applied for. The very next week, he thought he'd give it another go. Having learned the lesson about the sugarcane field, they decided to take a different route this time. They would attempt to transport the home down Koto Homes Road in the middle of the night. Again in the middle of the night. They began their journey again sometime after midnight on Saturday the 20th of May. On their way down Koto Homes Road toward Bernhard Road in Laurelville, Louisiana, they encountered a few obstacles along the way. Another sugarcane field? No, no, but uh, the obstacles they did encounter, they they destroyed them all. They hit most of them all along the way. Okay. It started out with a few damaged mailboxes. Then road signs were knocked over. They took trees down. And ultimately, several power lines and poles came down, (laughs) covering the street and his uh, 1,700-square-foot house with live wires. Among other things, this led to 700 electric service customers to lose power. Good grief. Again, the two had managed to get the truck stuck. They couldn't move it because it was covered with live power lines this time. (laughs) Not stuck in a cane field, just debris from the havoc that they had uh, caused. Oh, boys. So they thought probably the best strategy at this point was just leave the truck and go home, which they did. It's not like anyone will trace this back to us or something. No, no. They just abandoned this house in the middle of a road covered in live (laughs) power lines. Didn't bother letting anybody know. At about 3.30 a.m., sheriff's deputies, when they arrived, found the abandoned truck, the trailer, and the house blocking the road's 400 block. On Sunday morning, a little bit later, a towing truck, along with the electric company, fixed the uh, the power lines, and then the towing company actually moved his house to the property that he wanted to relocate it to. How smart is that? How, how kind is that? Uh, this was early Sunday morning. Uh, At 2.30, they knocked on his door and uh, arrested him, uh, letting him know the good news is your house is on your property. The bad news is try these cuffs on for size. (laughs) Both he and his buddy were booked into the Iberia Parish Jail, and their bond was set at $125,000 apiece. Wow. With additional charges pending. Sure. Unbelievable. Well, you did knock out power to over 700 people. And this was not once that they abandoned the house along the way, but but twice. Yeah. yeah. In the process of researching this, I, I found that uh, modular homes, people steal them. It's a real problem. Really? Yeah. In Michigan, in Cold Springs Township, somebody had a 12 by 28 foot cabin on a piece of land. And they went out to celebrate, you know, Fourth of July weekend or something, and uh, somebody had stolen their house. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine pulling up to your house, and there's there's just sky where the house should be, and you're sitting behind the wheel going, damn it. I know I left it here. (laughs) I swear, it was right here. (laughs) And it's not just houses either. In Akron, Ohio, in November of last year, somebody stole a 58-foot pedestrian bridge. Good grief. How do you disassemble a 58-foot pedestrian bridge? I don't know. And then move it and not be detected. 
Law enforcement officials later found it partially disassembled in a neighboring county, and uh, they charged a suspect with felony theft. That was in November. Here in Florida, I heard a story not too long ago about a, uh, a man who cheated on his girlfriend. Oh, boy. And uh, she walked into his mobile home, and he was with another woman, and she was mm-hmm. so mad she waited until he went to work, and then she went to his mobile home and hooked it up to a truck and stole his house. You know, that one doesn't bother me. I have to applaud kind that of, one, for yeah, sure. Yeah, you, you had it coming, pal. My source information, Newsweek, The Guardian, and KPLCTV.com. That's cray-cray, man. Even if they got away with it, people are going to notice that the building had been moved. You know, he's going to have to pay the fines and probably go to jail. But he figured, I'm going to try this again. What could go wrong? What could? I remember when uh, in 20... I think it was 2012 that the space shuttle Endeavor was flown from Florida to LAX and was installed in the California Science Center on the USC oh, campus. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And what they had to do to move that shuttle, you know, over a period of days and taking down power poles and trees and in oh, some cases God. just having like inches on each side where the shuttle would pass between buildings. That was incredibly well planned with months, if not years, of research and study and measurement. And and so the idea of just hooking your house up to a, <laughs> to your truck and I'm just going to drive it over there. It's like, what the hell, dude? I once drove a 38-foot RV bus through New York City. No, you didn't. I did. Yeah, and I ended up on, what's the name of that parkway? Merrick Parkway over in Connecticut? Yeah, 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 yeah. The the beautiful, uh, picturesque parkway with the very low stone overpasses? I somehow wow. ended up on that. And uh, the um, <laughs> the overpass was like 12-foot clearance, and I knew that the RV was 12-6, and there was no way out. I had yeah. to attempt it. Because the bridge was, or the overpass was arched, I drove right down the center, and I must have cleared it maybe by three inches or oh something. Oh, my God. Yeah. How many of those did you did you have to clear? I took the very next exit I could yeah. <laughs> and ended up uh, driving through a residential neighborhood in <laughs> Bristol. <laughs> Took a few trees down myself, I think. What were you moving? What? what why, why were you driving this thing? I bought it in uh, Dallas, and I had to drive it home. So I flew out to Dallas to, to buy this RV and then, and then drove it back. Is this the one that you ended up selling? Yes, yeah. I had yeah. it for two years. It sat in my driveway. I didn't do anything with it. Because I thought you guys actually did work on it. Like We did, yeah. Yeah, we it was kind of like a flip project, you know. Okay. Yeah, we, we and you you had hopes of turning it into like a mobile studio. Yes. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was such a cool idea. We were thinking it would be uh, it'd be kind of a cool thing to do, and we could do live shows and all of that. But uh, then we decided this is way too much work. Plus, right. it made Cat really nervous. She wouldn't drive it. It made her nervous when I did, and understandably so. I almost decapitated us on the Merrick Parkway. In Connecticut. You said so, it was 38 feet? Yeah, 38 feet. Wow. Yeah, it was a big one. It had two bathrooms in it. My God, that's huge. <laughs> I, I know, and, and I never would have bought something like that, but it was uh, ridiculously priced. It's because the, the dealership that had it, 
dealt with these multi-million dollar diesel pushers, you know, the great right. big rock star buses. Yeah. And somebody had traded this thing in and they just wanted to get it off the lot because it was embarrassing for them. Right. I think. So, right. you know, it was, it was really well priced and it was in decent shape. We just, you know, remodeled it and, and uh, ultimately resold it. And it wasn't a terrible situation. It wasn't awful. I wouldn't That's do crazy. it again, but no, yeah, I did learn a lot. Number one, do not drive a 38 foot RV uh, class A through New York City. It's just, it's just bad. Did you take it like through Manhattan? No, we went. Uh, trying to remember, we we uh, we came up through Princeton, New Jersey, and okay, over yeah, the yeah, George yeah. Washington Bridge that way. I got gotcha. you. I know that route. Yeah. That is, did you know that is the single most traveled bridge on the planet? I do not doubt it. You know how much the toll was for a Class A RV? I can only imagine. <laughs> it's like 80 bucks. Yeah. To get across. Count, counting out quarters. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Honey. Is I there any another, more change in that ashtray? Sack full of quarters. Anyway, thanks for hanging out with us again, you guys. Uh, we always love we hearing from you. appreciate it as always. Lifeguard at shallowinpodcast.com, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, make good choices. Because your life may depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go. Hello, everyone. It's Takuya here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is... Well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.